Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Beaver Baptist Church. Uh, I hate we got to meet this way. Uh, I know it's kind of probably awkward to be sitting at a at a TV screen or a computer screen and, and watching church. I know we're not used to that. Trust me, I'm not used to preaching to a camera. Uh, I do have one person here, though. My daughter came out, and she's, uh, she's in the audience tonight. So if you hear somebody say, Amen, right? Reagan Ramsey's here, so, but thank you for tuning in. Like I said, I hate that we, we have to meet like this, but there's a lot of sickness in our fellowship, a lot of our, our leading families that, that are over a lot of the ministries, uh, they're quarantined, so it's kind of hard to uh, meet as normal, but hopefully next week we'll be back, but Shane will be in touch with you about that. But thank you so much for letting me speak today. Uh, this text that we're looking at is, uh, is huge. If you could pick five scriptures out of the Bible. If you told a preacher he had five scriptures, pick whatever, ever, which five that you want. And this is what you could preach. These, this section of scriptures that we're looking at today definitely is a part of those. Now, we're not going to exhaust it. We could literally spend four, five weeks just on these few verses. So Shane, good news for you. I'm going to do a flyover. We're going to, we're going to talk about these. But you definitely can spend the next two or three weeks uh, pulling from this and uh, just going a little bit deeper than, t than time allows us to do that today. So if you've been with us, so you know that we're in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's been a great, great study. I know that it has affected my life tremendously. I know that it has affected your life tremendously. Uh, last week, Morgan uh, preached. Uh, we're in chapter 2. He was able to cover the first several verses of that. So what I want to do, just to kind of uh, set the context, is go back and read the verses that he covered last week to get our minds flowing, get our hearts prepared for uh, what we're going to read today. So open your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter 2. We'll begin with first, uh, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy. This is, this is what Paul was saying. Complete my joy. Being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So as we look back at that text, we see several things that really it's, it's what it's all about. Uh, selfish ambition. Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit. Be, be humble. Have humility. And as I look at my life, evaluating it today, but looking back over my life as a Christian, I definitely can see areas where I was in total violation of the Scripture. I remember 25 years ago, uh, we were at this church, been saved about 30, but 25 years ago we were at Beaver and uh, was serving here. 
And I was a deacon. And back then, believe it or not, there was probably in this small little church at the end of Holly Grove Road, there was between four and five hundred people. It's hard enough with a small church with minimal numbers to, to do this. But as a church gets larger, you, what happens? You have more people. You, you have more personalities. You have more egos. You have more opinions, and you have uh, people who are wrapped in the flesh. So that back then, at that specific time, that's what was going on in, the, in our body. And uh, we had at that time probably 12 to 15 deacons. And one thing that we were not, we were not unified. Uh, we just weren't. So we decided to take a deacon's retreat. And so we went to, uh, I think it's Natchez Trace uh, Retreat uh, Park. We left on a Friday night. We got down there and uh, the next morning we got up and we ate uh, breakfast. And then what we did is we made this, we made this circle, okay, about 12 to 15 deacons. And we began to discuss all the things that, uh, that we were going through. And of course, everybody had an opinion. Everybody had what they wanted to say, what was wrong, what was right. Uh, we all had our egos. And I would say, at least from myself, an element of pride in what we did. So as we, we were discussing in that circle with those 12 to 15 men, uh, there was a young guy who, uh, during the conversation, I, he just got up and he walked into another room and maybe to go to the restroom, maybe to go to the kitchen, I don't know. And uh, he came back. I heard, I heard water running. And as he came back, he brought to the room of the, the 15 deacons a bowl of water. He walked over to probably the oldest deacon there. Many of you know who this is, Daddy Carl, right? Daddy Carl Hartsfield, who we would consider him to be a, a church father, uh, mature, old, wise. And this young guy knelt down at his feet. He undid his shoes and he pulled his shoes off his feet as the other deacons were watching. And he got a towel and water and he began to wash the feet of Daddy Carl. And that was very humbling. But even, maybe even more than that in the sight of us there that day, Daddy Carl got up and set the guy down and knelt down on his knees and, beg and began to wash his feet. You could hear a pin drop. Silence. As you look around the room, tears falling from their faces. That was a changing moment for our deacon body. We never ever can be unified. We never can work in the same mind, strive side by side and be unified apart from humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. 2,000 years ago, same thing happened. Disciples sitting at the table. Everything set up for that last supper. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Everything was done except there was one problem. They all had nasty feet. Well, who was going to wash their feet? Who in the group 
would be the one to start this process of getting these feet clean. The disciples were at the table of Jesus, sitting there with nasty feet. Surely, surely somebody would take care of this. And guess what happens? Then Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and, and tied it around his waist. He began to wash their feet. What an unbelievable example of humility. That's what Christ did. So to be the church, to be a, to be a Christian, we're called to be like Christ. He is the, our, and that's really the focus today is, is looking at Christ and what he has done, right? And I think sometimes we look over some of the most very basic things that we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. As we go through the scripture today, uh, we're going to be looking at three things. One is in the area of submitting, right? And two, it is serving, serving one another and serving the body of Christ. Three, it's sacrificing, sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our time, sacrificing on behalf of the body of Christ. And the key to all of this just like it was 25 years ago. The key to all of this is humility. It is humility. And so as we read the scripture, and it's real hard. I'm telling, I was telling Shane the other day, it is so hard not to go this way and miss the total meaning of the text. There are some major, major things happening in the scripture. This text in Philippians 2, guess what? is the Christmas story. A lot of times we think about uh, Luke. No, that is great. But this here is the Christmas story also. You're going to see some, some big doctrines discussed here. It's not the focus, but it's discussed the issues of the canonic formula. What does it mean that Christ actually emptied himself? What does that mean? The hypostatic union. How can Jesus... How can he be fully man, 100% man, and be 100% God? These things we're going to touch on just a little bit. And as we look at this in context, what Paul is trying to say, he's not trying to give an apologetic of these major, major doctrines. The focus of what he's trying to say is humility. So Paul is giving us an illustration of humility. And so in verse 5 it says, How this mind, what does that mean? How this attitude, some of your translations say different things. How this mind or attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What does it mean, attitude? What does that mean? He's about to illustrate from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ what he's going to do, what is so beautiful, he's going to pull from eternity past and go all the way to eternity future and illustrate the greatest example of humility that ever existed. It says, have, in your, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So let's set this in context. As Paul's writing to the Philippians, we know there. We know because we, we, we looked at the book, there's at least three reasons he's writing to them. In chapter 4, uh, uh, he's, he's thanking them for their bountiful gift. Of course, we know he's in prison at that time. It says in chapter 4, verse 14, yet it, was, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning... Of the, of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in give, giving and receiving except for you only even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once again so Paul was grateful for their partnership them giving their lives but also helping him in the ministry financially second Paul is informing him about his circumstances right he's in prison he's writing from prison, and they are concerned about him, right? It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, well, he's in prison, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul said, don't worry about my circumstance. Me being in prison, the gospel has spread even to the house of Caesar. God's in control. Right? Three, he is writing to them. That's what we get to today. He is writing to them to encourage them to humble themselves to maintain the unity of the faith. Remember in chapter 1, verse 27, we see the first command given to the Philippians. It says this, verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be... Now, this isn't a suggestion. Command. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. As I was reading this and I was discussing it with several people, including Shane, why is Paul telling them this? Based on the, the, the book that I've read, I didn't see any evidence where they were not doing this. I did not see that. But we know that they were. How do we know that? Because they're humans. They're wrapped in the flesh. We all struggle with pride. We all struggle with self-ambition. We all struggle with with putting ourselves before other people and not putting them before ourselves. It happens in every church of every time. So that's what Paul is saying. We do it too. They're doing it also. But they are to have uh, one mind. It talks about one mind. And, and, and the question I was asked was, can we actually have the mind of Christ? Yes, being saved, being born again, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Natural means lost, 
Okay? They are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but he himself to, to, to judge by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, who is we? The believers. But we have the mind of Christ. And so in order to have the mind of Christ, how do we do that? Look, look here. We have his word. This is the mind of Christ. We have his word and we have his spirit. So this is something that we can do. We're not looking for something outside of his word to have this. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. When we have God's mind, right? When we have God's mind, let me tell you some things that we won't do. We won't do. We will not assert our values and virtues over others. Speaking to the Philippians and us, we won't defend our own rights. We won't do that. Christ didn't. And we won't, if we have his mind. We won't promote selfish interest. And guess what? Number four, and we will not live for ourselves. We won't do that. Now, (laughs) it's kind of hard to do. Now hear me out, a little application here in the COVID middle section of the sermon. It's kind of hard to walk side by side. To have one mind and be of one spirit and be unified and serve others and do all of these things that he's telling us to do. Guess what? If we're not here. Yes, we're in some a circumstance right now that none of us want to be in. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Some of us, okay, some of us, hopefully not you, but maybe you, uh, you don't come to church. You're part of the body of Christ, and maybe uh, you're at the ball uh, tournament every weekend. Maybe you're in the deer stand, even when there's no COVID. Maybe you're in the deer stand. Maybe you're at the lake. Okay? We have to be together, and we can't be unified. We can't strive by side by side. We can't be the body of Christ with all these gifts, right? Christ the head, we're the body, if we're not here. So... Just want to throw that out to you. It's impossible to do these things apart from us being together, not only on a, a weekly basis, but also during the week. Paul's going to give us the, the most perfect example and really from the most unlikeliest person on how to, uh, to see what humility is all about. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And what Paul is telling us here is that Christ, Christ is God, right? Paul is telling us that Christ existed in the form of God. Existed is in the present tense. What does that mean? He has always existed in that form. He never has not been God, and he never will be not God. That's what he's saying. What's really neat, this word form, if you do a word study, it's the word morphe, the Greek word morphe. 
And Paul could have used another word to, to kind of describe this, but this word right here says exactly what Christ is. It basically means that Christ shares the exact nature of God. He is the exact essence of God. That's who he is. Jesus Christ is the pre-existent one. Before he took flesh, he existed in the form of God. He was all that God was, inwardly and outwardly. Inwardly in the sense of his nature and outwardly in the sense of his reflective glory. Jesus Christ is God. He always has been God. He is not a created being. Reagan is here. My girl is here today. She will remember the story because she was there. I remember it was on a, a Saturday afternoon. Reagan, do you remember that? A Saturday afternoon. By God's providence, it was a beautiful, bright, sunny day. And I was outside in the driveway. And I know a car comes down the driveway. They parked. Two ladies got out. They had a, a couple of Bibles in, in their hand. I said, hello, ladies. How are y'all doing? What can I do for y'all? They said, we're just out witnessing for God. I said, praise the Lord. Yes, we're witnessing for Jehovah. I said, I love Jehovah. I love to witness for him. Tell me about him. So we engaged in this conversation and uh, we kept going. And then I finally got to the point after they shared what they wanted to share. I said, I've got a question for you. I got a question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And they said, well, he's, he's God's son. He's God's. I said, well, amen. He is God's son. That's a great answer. Then I asked, is Jesus God? And they said, well, yeah, he is God. He is God. Little G, little G, not big G, but he is God. I said, is Jesus eternal? They said, oh, no. He's God's son. He's not eternal. He's a created being. I said, can I read you a scripture? I turned to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and I said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And then I took their translation and I read the same verse. And, they, and in their Bible, if you're not paying attention, you'd think it's the real deal. Instead of radiance, it said reflection. I says, why does your Bible say reflection and not radiance? I said, let's look it up in the original language. So we went and looked it up. I said, oh, there it is. It says radiance. Why did you translate it? Reflection. I said, if you go to a, a body of water and you look into the water and you can see your reflection, is your reflection the same thing that call, as the light that causes the reflection? And they looked at me kind of with a, their eyebrows raised up, didn't really know what I was talking about. I said, there is a difference between the reflection, like your Bible says, and the actual light itself. And on that bright, sunny Saturday morning, I looked up at the sun. I said, ma'am, do you see the sun? I said, do you see the light? I said, can you have light without the sun? They says, 
No. I said, can you have, can you have the sun without the light and the light without the sun? They says, no. I said, you're absolutely right. Jesus is the light that radiates from the eternal God. He is God and he is eternal. And they left. But So let's pray for those people. Jesus is God and him and the Father of one essence. He's outside of time. There is a difference in that. So be careful. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Was is in the perfect tense. What does that mean? Before time, space, and matter, Jesus was. He was always existing prior to time, space, and matter. God is the creator. Jesus is the creator. He's created, created everything. And if you're going to recreate something like time, space, and matter, you have to be before time, space, and matter. And if you are that, you're eternal. Jesus is God. That's the point. That's the point. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is very, very interesting. So we see the reality of Jesus who is equal with God. He's the same nature, same essence. And it says that he, he did not count equality with God, which he was, a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? It means that he did not hold on to his prerogatives, his divine majesty. He is God. He's got all power. He's got all authority. But he chose not to use these things for his advantage, right? In other words, he waived his rights to express his deity. He waived his rights to display his divine attributes. Let me say it this way. He said aside the expression of deity, but he did, he did not and could not lay aside his possession of deity. And now we see the first reference, the first humility that Christ did. He, he humbles himself. He humbles himself. He did not equate quality a thing to be great. He did not hold on to that. Jesus Blows your mind, right? As a child was God. When he was born, a day old, God entered him. He is God. And speaking with Shane this afternoon on the phone, he said, I would just, you know, think about Jesus being a, being a kid. He's out in the shop. He's working with his daddy in the carpenter shop. And one of his brothers come up and, and, and takes a board and hit Jesus over the head. Well, Jesus, God, if he wanted to, he could zap them just like that. <laughs> but he did it. Jesus is God. His whole life, he has been God. We have to remember that. We have to remember that. And I think about, as we, we think about in, in putting it in today's terms and trying to give you a vision of what it means to restrain, you think about uh, positions like a manager or a boss holding back or, or even really abusing their position because of who they are. Think about husbands. God has placed husbands in the home to be the head of the family and the husband could abuse that authority for selfish gain. Maybe at church there may be somebody there at, uh, at your fellowship or our fellowship who might have a lot of money, right? He's financially wealthy. He could possibly use that 
for his advantage. But Jesus, having all of these attributes, never used that for his advantage. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him, which is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ, still retaining all he was as eternal God, chose not to hold on to his deity and use that for his advantage. Even though it was all there, he chose not to do that, right? He could have, I think about all the times that that the Bible speaks about, even, even when they were falsely accusing him, even putting him on the cross, If he wanted to, with one breath, could call down thousands of angels. But he did not. He withheld that. What an act of humility. He had a job to do. And this would be the greatest act and example of humility we've ever seen. Hebrews 10.7 says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world. Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Okay, verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, taking a form of a servant. Look here, what does that mean by emptying himself? That's a, that's a big, big deal. Jesus, who is 100% man and 100% God, but it says he emptied himself. What does that mean? And, and he took a form of a servant. Well, I got a glass of water, or two glasses here. Some people teach, which they are wrong, and if they do, uh, don't follow those or listen to those people. Jesus was 100% man, and he was 100% God. Right? So Jesus, God in Jesus in full measure. When it says that he emptied himself, this is not what it is. No, it's not. Jesus, the man, was fully God 100% of the time. So he emptied himself of of his ability to exercise his deity. He is fully man, fully God. Uh, I like to say it like this. It was, it was uh, subtraction by addition. It was emptying by taking. Right? I know that's not very good math, but it's great, great Bible doctrine. It's a, it's a mind-blowing truth. It's hard for us to grasp how all of this works. But we can say from this... Uh, from this text, what we do know is he emptied himself by becoming something that he was not. He became a man. He became a man. Never was he a man until he was born. We see the, we see the word form again, right? That word morphe shows up again. Same word, same word over here. When Christ was in the form of God, we see here now it's used again. It's used again as a servant. Right? It's used as a servant. And when it says servant, don't casually read that. That's what translations do. They, they call it servant, but the word is actually doulos, which means a slave. So just as Christ existed as God, literally, same nature, God becomes a man, and now Morphe is a slave. 
We go from submission, now we go to, to service as a slave. I remember when Christ was headed to Jerusalem for the last time, and James and John was, uh, was questioning him. We read about it in Mark 10, uh, verse 35 it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Jesus went on and said it's not his to give. And then a little bit later in verse 42, he gives them some instructions. 42 says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, like they want to be, whoever would be great among you, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What he's saying is, my kingdom is not like this world. You must see yourself as a slave, as a servant, right? And it says in verse 45, for even the Son of Man, he just, here, here it is, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. What humility Christ did. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that the Word, which He became flesh, meaning He was born of a woman, like every other man. He was human in every way, except he did not have a sin nature. He did not inherit Adam's sin nature, right? That could not be. So he, was, he looked like and was a man apart from uh, having a sin nature. And it says, and being found in human form. This is interesting. Verse 8, in human form. This is a different word. It's the word schema. This is referring to the outer appearance. He was a full human in every way. And he, he looked, you know, being a human, you think, he, if he walked down the street of Jerusalem, there would be nothing to cause you to look at him. He looked, his outer, not only was he a man, his outer appearance was just like a man. Let me give you a quick example. We've got a few more minutes of what this means. This word here. This, when I got married, uh, I've been married about 30 years, right? I've been married 30 years. And uh, <clears throat> my schema, my outer appearance 30 years ago, first of all, I'm a man, right? Morphe, okay? But my schema 30 years ago looks a little bit different, <laughs> looks a little bit different than it does today. My schema 30 years ago, guess what? I actually had abdominal muscles, right? And as I passed through my life, I started hitting my 35s and 40s. Guess what? My schema changes again. I start gaining a little weight, right? And as, as I hit 52 now, my schema is falling apart, 
My hair's falling out. It's turning gray. And uh, it's changing. And Jesus changed also. He was a baby. He was born. He grew up. He went through puberty. He not only was a fully human being, he, he, his observance, his life was just that. And there was nothing uh, fancy about Christ, right? Isaiah 53, 2 says... For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a, a, a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that, would, that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Basically, you know, we see these pictures of Christ, these beautiful paintings based on Isaiah 53. There was nothing attractive about Christ. He just gets, he's, now he's going lower and lower. He's left the glories of heaven. He didn't hold on to his divine prerogatives. He was born a human slave. He's a human. He did He wept. He grieved. He grew tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. How much slower can he go? Well, he goes even lower. And being found as a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, being crucified on a cross, dying as a criminal, following God's plan, total submission, total submission. Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the, de the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man. He hung there naked, Beaten, spit on, beard pulled out. He was unrecognizable. And he was dying for sinners. Taking their place. The innocent Christ who never one time sinned, never did anything wrong, dies in the place of sinners. God pours his wrath out. The wrath that I deserve for being a wretched sinner, God pours that out on Christ, who is the innocent one. I deserve that. This is the greatest act of humility. And he dies like a man. Verse 9, therefore, therefore, what does that mean? Because of what we just read. Therefore, because he has, he has humbled himself. He has lived a life of humility. He's came from heaven. He was born a human. He looked like a human. He, he died. He was, life was filled with humility. Because of what he did, God highly exhausted him, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He just goes lower. It's like a slingshot. He pulls it. He comes out of heaven. He becomes a man. He dies. And God highly exalts him. He, uh, he ascends to heaven. He goes back to the throne. He's sovereign king, sovereign Lord. He goes back with something that he didn't have. This is, this is awesome. He now goes back as the high priest. He wasn't a high priest before he came. Now he goes to heaven and sits at the right hand of God as the high priest interceding on 
our behalf, the believers. He goes to heaven also, what? Carrying the marks of the cross. He's in flesh. He has a body. He's been resurrected. He's alive. It's good news for those who love Christ. But we see some sobering things here. Many of you today have bowed your knee, bowed your knee to the great God, Jesus Christ. Many of you have done that. Many of you have submitted to Him as Lord and King and Master of your life. But some of you have not done that. Some of you have not bowed the knee to God as Lord. And He is Lord. And He is King. And He is Sovereign. And here's the news. You will bow. Today you can bow. Today you have grace. Today you can come and admit that you have fallen short of the glory of God and call out on His name and He will save you. He will do that. He promised He would. But you will bow. Don't listen. You will bow. I was watching a sermon by R.C. Sproul. He said something that just really stuck out to me. He said, in the universe, you can't have two things that exist at the same time together. You cannot have an irresistible force and an object that can't be moved. An irresistible force, right, with an object that can't be moved. When these two meet together, one of them is going to give. And if you don't submit to Christ and come to Him as your Lord and your Master, I have news for you, He's not going to be the one to give. And if you wait till that day, you will bow your knee. You will confess Him as, as Lord and agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to reject that, you will confess it, but you will spend eternity in hell. Today's text, the application of it is very simple. It's very simple. As the body of Christ, here's what we do. We do nothing out of selfish ambition. We do nothing out of selfish ambition. We always, always put other people before ourselves. We will never be of the same mind, be of the same spirit, work side by side in the gospel apart from our lives as individuals, our life, until we do this, until we humble ourselves and our life is marked by humility, we will never have unity. We will never be able to work side by side the way Christ intended us to do. We'll never have one mind. So we must humble ourselves and live this life of humility. Why? Why? It's simple. Because Jesus did it. And therefore, we should also. He is our pattern. He is our example. If there was anybody on the planet that did not need to humble himself, it would be Christ. But he did it. And he's our example. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for what you've done. I just sit back in awe as I read the scriptures and I see the eternal God who came to earth, he's wrapped himself in flesh. He lived a perfect life, 
perfect submission, becoming a slave to God and served others. And he laid his life down for sinners, taking their place, taking the wrath of God, becoming a substitutionary death on behalf of the ones who believe. Father, I thank you. Who does that but you, God? And you, as it says in the last verse, in the last scripture, you get all the glory. That's what it's about. May we never forget why humanity and creation exist for the glory of God. And I pray today, if there's anybody watching or in our fellowship or outside our fellowship who has never bowed the knee to God, that they do it today before it's too late. Lord, I thank you. I give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.